Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, October 20th. We're going to keep today's show on the shorter side. I want to run all of you listeners through Wednesday's action at our four tour-level events happening this week in particular. we got to talk about the WTA 500 in Moscow. Both of our top seeds this week, Arena Sabalenka and Garbine Muguruza, pushed to three sets on Wednesday. Ultimately, each of them able to advance to the tournament's quarterfinals. want to focus on the Sabalenka performance in particular. We may have forgotten at this point with all of the exceptional runs we've seen just how excellent Arena Sabalenka has been here in 2021, how excellent she's been in hard courts, uh, particularly indoor hard court matches in particular over the past few seasons. I know I brought up those details yesterday, but it was nice to see her back on court following her testing positive for COVID, that positive test keeping her out of the 2021 Indian Wells. So I want to talk about Sabalenka's performance today. An impressive three-set win over Tom Yanovich. Of course, the WTA in Moscow is not our only tour event happening this week. We've got the WTA action over in Spain, where we really saw our only top seed upset on the day. Teenager Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano won her first WTA tour title earlier this season. The former world junior number one, continuing her ascension up the WTA ranks, comes back after dropping the first set yesterday to Alina Svitolina to not out the top seed in three sets over in Spain. I want to talk about what makes Osorio Serrano's game so special, why she has had success translating across surfaces here early in this season, and of course talk about the other results we've seen unfold over in Spain. Of course, on the men's side, two 250s this week, one in Moscow, one in Antwerp, both pretty high quality fields. And again, the story of the day on Wednesday Top seed stealing the show, whether over in Moscow, it was Karen Hatchinoff, three-set win over a very much informed the duck. I want to talk about the 25-year-old Russian's 2021 season. Has he plateaued early in his career? Has he found his ceiling, perhaps, already? That is something we should explore, something we should be monitoring uh, in the early stages of 2022, because certainly we saw at the Olympics when Karen Hatchinoff plays his best tennis, he can knock out just about anyone in the world, but you know, again, three-set win for him over the duck. What did we learn from that result? What would have we learned from his season? That's something I want to explore on today's podcast. I want to talk about the other results we saw over in Moscow, the results we saw in Antwerp as well. Another dominant performance for Jensen Brooksby. 6-2-6 love. He knocks out Botik Vandesen's sculpt. I mean, at this point, what's left to say about Brooksby's season? I'm not sure, but we'll try to find some new adjectives to describe him. 
on today's show. Of course, before I can get into any of that, I do want to remind all of you listeners that the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here at Crack Rackets is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, because of the support we get from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, because of the support we get from our friends over at Midwest Sports, who are now, of course, called our friends over at Tennis Point. If you go to their website, tennis-point.com, you use the promo code CR15, you'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders, exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Yes, these are part of the OG crew. They've been with us since day one. We are eternally grateful for the support we get from our friends at now Tennis Point. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. And again, all of your equipment needs at all of the best prices, all in one location, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all that said, Let's get into today's podcast episode, and again, we're going to keep things on the shorter side. I do apologize for that fact. I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast. I'm home this week visiting my parents, have some obligations, have a couple of grandmothers. I need to go see some additional family members who have requested some FaceTime this week as well. I do apologize for that fact. Nevertheless, we want to keep all of you listeners apprised on all of the latest and greatest updates from across the professional tennis world. So let's start with the WTA action in Moscow, our highest level event on the week. Again, a WTA 500 with significant point implications as we look towards the year-end finals in Guadalajara. You look for the women right now. Uh, There are I would say four significant contenders still alive competing in Moscow in terms of their results could impact who ends up in the race to Guadalajara. Of course, right now, and I'm going to include Ashley Barty in the race that we're going to assume for some reason, and we really don't think she is, but let's assume she does play Guadalajara. Then in that instance right now, We've got Garbin Muguruza, still alive. She's in sixth place in the race to the year in finals. By the way, Sabalenka's in second place. She's still alive, but she's already clinched her spot. So at this point, she's a little bit less relevant to this conversation. She's just in Moscow. I suppose for and giggles, right, to have some fun, to get some points on her board. It's not as significant for her to have a big success over the course of this week. As again, she's already clinched her spot, but still in competition. Garbin Muguruza, who, by the way, with one more victory in Moscow, she makes the semifinal. She'll have clinched herself a spot at the year-end finals. Ditto, by the way, for Maria Sakari, who's into the round of 16. She earns one more victory here this week. She will find herself—oh, excuse me, into the round of 16. That means I don't think she's played yet, but she earns one more victory. She will also find herself over the finish line, have qualified— for those year-end finals. That would leave it a race for those final two spots, or final spot, technically. Although, again, we're pretty sure Ashley Barty's done for the season. So, technically, it's a race for the final two spots. In terms of the players still alive in that competition competing this week, of course, they're all chasing both Paula Bedosa Jaber and Own Jabour. Own Jabour right now, a 525-point uh, lead on 13th place Annette Conteve. Now, if Conteve were to win the 500 this week in Moscow, she'd get up to 29-10 points. That'd be 110 points fewer than Own Jabour with a couple of 250s left on the line. She puts herself back in the chase. Of course, Anastasia Pavlich 
Shevchenkova, 14th technically overall in the WTA race. She trails Jabour by, let's see, 51 plus, so 71, 571 points she trails Jabour by. She earns a victory here this week. She'll actually surpass Annette Conteve, interestingly enough, in the points race. She will be trailing on Jabour by just 102 points for that ninth place position. And of course, again, why is ninth place more important than eighth place? Because we're all fairly certain we will not be seeing Ashley Barty for the rest of the season, thus finishing ninth place in the points race ultimately gets you in to the race to Guadalajara, uh, into the year and finals in Guadalajara. Now again, Bedosa, Jabour in commanding position, but Contebe and Pavlchenkova, the two players you should be watching most closely, who really could, you know, again, throw uh, throw some chaos, inject some uncertainty into that race to the year and finals, make those final few weeks on the WTA Tour that much more exciting. With all of that said... Anastasia Pavlchenko, I'm recording this funny enough, 6.01 p.m. here on Wednesday. She's still on court in her round of 16 match, was up and served for the match, I believe, 6.253 up on the always tricky lefty American Bernarda Perra, currently 6.25 all in her matchup now. But we did have some fascinating round of 16 affairs here on, in Moscow on Wednesday. Let's start with top seed Arena Sapolanka. Tricky first round matchup. For someone coming off of a positive COVID test who hasn't played a match since that semifinal at the U.S. Open. And just a, re- a reminder for Arena Sapolenka, 4-5, she's trailing in the third set of that U.S. Open semifinal before ultimately she gets broken in just the sloppiest of sloppy service games against Layla Fernandez. As such, it was really impressive to see Sabalenka come out firing here in set number one. And in particular, she faced only two break points in that first set, was broken just one time. And of course, we're playing indoor hardcore tennis here at uh, here in Moscow. And you look uh, for Arena Sabalenka, you know, again, a little bit rusty, sort of the performances you could expect from someone who has not played that frequently of late. You look for Arena Sabalenka thus far on the season. She's averaging, uh, I believe, a first serve percentage, 60%. She's making up her first serve. She only made 55% today, but 15 of 21 on first serve points in that first set and uh, 37 of 51 overall on first serve points for the match. She makes 72. Uh, she wins 72.5% of those first serve points, 52.9% of her second serve points for the match. Perhaps most impressively, the first serve percentage. 55% in the first serve, uh, in the first set, 68% in the second set. Now it's settled at 59.1% in the third set, but again, indicative. She found her legs. She found her rhythm as a server as the course of this match went on, but perhaps most impressively was just the relentless pressure she put on the Alia Tomjanovic serve. In particular, you look set number three for Tomjanovic. She goes 10 of 26 on service points, and you could tell Sabalenka had her rhythm at that point of the match. And early on in that first set, you know, she's taking big cracks at the return, going for broke very early, trying to set the pace, kind of remind herself the weapon she possesses, sort of find her range, find her rhythm very early on because, of course, you look for Arena Sabalenka overall here in 2021. I've a stat I mentioned quite frequently, but 14 of her 16 losses have come, uh, uh, excuse me, for, yeah, 14 of her 16 losses on the season have come via a three-set loss. So for Arena Sabalenka, you know she's going to be completing, excuse me, 13 of her 15 losses on the season have come in three sets. You know for Arena Sabalenka, she is going to compete and she is going to find that 20-minute stretch in each and every match. And 
look, some of the balls she was hitting against Alia Tomjanovic, you just laugh at the things Arena Sabalenka is capable of doing on a tennis court, whether it's the short angle cross court forehand, whether it's, you know, using that short angle cross court forehand to set up the drive backhand, her confidence level moving forward, hitting the swinging volley. I love her confidence level hitting the overhead as well because she does have the weapons to put herself in a position to put points away at the net and to have that confidence to move forward after you hit a killer and well-placed in depth and, you know, again, pristine approach shot. Arena Sabalenka has developed that confidence all season long. And again, for her down th- uh, the home stretch of this match, whether it was the tiebreaker, she played some of the most, imp- uh, the first four points of the tiebreaker, I believe she hit three winners to take a 3-1 lead. And just, you know, whether it was the, on the deuce side, uh, she hits this deuce side out wide, short angle serve, and then open court forehand. You're just like, that combination is lethal. That is, you know, that plus one ball is as good as it gets in the women's game. And it's that this match was on her terms from start to finish. Now, credit to Al Tom. Alia Tomjanovic has been exceptional down the home stretch of this 2021 season, really since that quarterfinal run at Wimbledon, maybe even slightly before that, has solidified her place in the top 50 here to end this season, has positioned herself extraordinarily well to, you know, again, continue uh, her career here, play the tournament she wants to play as she enters her age 28, 29 seasons. But this match was on Sabalenka's racket, and it's good to see despite, you know, a two-month layoff for her, a month-and-a-half layoff in terms of the last time she played, that she can find that rhythm that much more quickly because we've seen for Arena Sabalenka, you know, again, disruptions in her rhythm and, you know, the 20-minute streaks where she struggles to make any sort of ball and just, you know, the unforced errors begin to pile up. That was so frequently the story for Sabalenka. When she was in rhythm, she was exceptional, but the bouts of inconsistency plagued her early in her career now at 23 years old that those you know battles against consistency uh those battles of inconsistency those bouts i should say they've been minimized she has been that much better here in 2021 match in match out week in week out and again you look for her in set number three 14 of 22 on service points but most impressively she won 62 percent of her return points was just dictating from start to finish and after a trick you know she holds right after getting broken or excuse me after Tomjanovic holds to end the set Sabalenka breaks Tomjanovic right away to start set number three and was off and running from there and again one break of serve in the first set separating these two players now the second set definitely got a little bit funkier. You look for Sabalenka. She uh, earned, you know, only one break point, one break chance. Tomjanovic, two of three on break point chances, but for, you know, neither player having much success on the second serve in set number two. Tomjanovic upped her aggression. I thought she did a really good job of trying to change directions on Arena Sabalenka in this match, but Sabalenka, again, was sneaky good in the outer thirds here in this event, uh, in this match, and just the power she was able to produce, this match was on her racket. She overwhelmed Tomjanovic with depth, with precision, with power. She earned the three-set victory, and again, for Sabalenka, she's a 30% favorite to win this event, according to the Tennis Abstract. Singles forecast, the second place, Garbin Muguruza, 20.7%, third place, Annette Conteve, 14%. What does all that say? She's a comfortable favorite here on the indoor hard courts, and I mentioned this yesterday. Arena Sabalenka's last indoor loss, I believe, was at the start of the 2019 season. We all remember what she did in Ostrava. We all remember what she did in Linz at the end of last year. She's got those points to defend, given she hadn't played a match in about six weeks, given, you know, again, to test positive for COVID, to deal with those symptoms, to have that virus, to come back and look the way she did in match number one. Now she gets a day off before her quarterfinal match as well. I mean, she's the pick. 
to win in Moscow because indoor, hard courts, her weapons, her best tennis is simply put better than everyone else in the field. So incredible victory. Uh, not incredible, but credible victory for Sabalenka to resume her campaign here in 2021. Three sets over an inform Al Tom. By the way, Anastasia Pavlochenkova now match point up 6-2, We'll keep you updated on that fact. But for Garbin Muguruza, the other big winner today in Moscow, 6-4-4-6-6-3. She earns a win over very much inform Teresa Martinsova. And I believe I laid out the case for Martinsova yesterday, how excellent she's been here this season at the WTA level compared to the past, I believe. She had four quarterfinals at the WTA level coming into this season, has made five here this year, had four total top 50 victories entering the season, has earned eight top 50 victories here this year. Again, has worked her way towards the top 50 of the WTA rankings. A very Arthur Rindernashi, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of another good comparison there. Not quite soon with Quan because Quan's a little bit younger. Pedro Martinez Portero a little bit younger. Even Rindernesh is just a little bit younger in his career, given the college experience he had, than Teresa Martinsova. It's not quite on the Karatsev level, but it's somewhere in between. And again, just her, uh, Ilya Vashka, you know, it's somewhere in that range. It's an Avashka-type jump for Martin Sova. That's actually the perfect comparison. It's an Avashka-type jump for Martin Sova this season. And look, she gave Murguruza all of the tests in the world in the 6-4-4-6-6-3 victory for the number two seed Muguruza. Muguruza was down 4-1 in the opening set. Martin Silva came out jumped on her, just the depth on each and every ground stroke. And I have to say, Martin Silva's ability to absorb and redirect pace on the backhand side, the backhand's legit. The backhand is a top 50 WTA backhand, just her ability to generate the pace off of that wing. And again, it's, it's more than just a placeholder, her ability to move that ball around the court, her ability to set up the forehand as well. Now, I do think because of the backswing, because of the flat nature of her forehand, that's a side a bit more susceptible, excuse me, a bit more prone to producing errors. And credit to Garbine Muguruza for identifying that fact. And you look for Muguruza today, makes 74% of her first serves in set number one, 72% for the match. She was so diligent, particularly on the deuce side. Slice out wide, first forehand or first backhand to the open side at court. She hit that ball, I would say she hit it 40% of rallies when she was on serve. That was the play for her, 40% of deuce side rallies. And I, I know that's an unofficial statistic, but if I'm doing the advanced metrics here, if you're charting the match, that was the pattern for Garbine Muguruza that earned her the most success, very similar to Arena Sapolenka. And again, it's indoor hardcourt tennis. It's, you know, a shock for both of these players. It speaks to, I suppose, how well they were turning or perhaps how poorly they were serving. But, you know, we're glass half full here at Crack Racket, so I tend to lean towards the former. For Muguruza, she was not, you know, she saved nine of the 14 breakpoints she faced in the match. She created 18 breakpoint chances for herself, breaking serve uh, seven of those 18 times. I mean, for Muguruza, this was an either-or match, and let's be clear, Martin Sova had opportunities to capture the momentum in that third set. Yes, I believe Muguruza comes out and holds in like a, seven deuce game or something crazy like that to start out the third set and then you know again gets that early break right away but I believe Martin Sova gets the break back in that third set and kind of has him back on serve for a second only for uh you know again for Garbine Muguruza to get that second break and just you know for her she uh holds serve the rest of the way just is able to put so much pressure on the Martin Sova service games as well I thought Garbine played good not great 
today. I thought her ability to absorb that pace, again, while Martin Silva absorbs, redirects well, while she creates well when she has time on the forehand, she doesn't have plus power. She's not a Serena Williams power tennis country club sort of player. You know, she is someone who's just rock solid off of both wings, who can absorb, who can redirect, who can attack down the line off of both sides, who can move forward comfortably, take time away from you. But credit to Muguruza, who had the biggest weapon. You know, her forehand was the biggest weapon on the court. Her ability to move forward, hit the swinging volleys consistently. Her ability to take that backhand down the line, change direction on Martin Sova, pressure the Martin Sova forehand with pace. That's what ultimately allowed Muguruza to get over the finish line. And again, for Garbine Muguruza... You know, she's been sneaky, excellent. I believe now 31 and 10 she is on hard courts here this season. And of course, double finals in Doha and Dubai. She wins the title in Dubai. Fourth round match points, Naomi Osaka wins the title in Chicago despite only having to play three matches, of course. Her loss to Krejcikova at the U.S. Open may have been one of those inflection point matches where you feel like if Muguruza is able to get over the hump against a weary uh, Krejcikova, just given the lack of experience down the home, you know, she would have had, I think, Sabalenka next. And just, you know, she had beaten Sabalenka, I believe, back-to-back in the Middle East earlier this season. You just feel like Muguruza against Fernandez or Muguruza against Raducanu. You know, maybe that's a slightly different story than, you know, against some of the less heralded, less experienced players. They played down the home stretch. I just think this is a what-if season for Garbine Muguruza because career high for her in hold percentage, career high for her in break percentage, career high for her in win percentage, and she's 26, 27, you know, 27 years old. It's smack dab in the prime of her career. And yet, if and, you know, again, you look at our major champions here this season, Osaka, Australia, she had match points, so that feels like one she could have had. And then you look at the next three slams, Krejcikova, Barty, Raducanu, missed opportunities might be the name of the game for Garbine Muguruza here this season. If she can capture this title, capture some momentum heading into 2022, given the uncertainty surrounding Naomi Osaka, I'm going to mistakenly pick Garbine Muguruza probably to win the Well, I'm going to pick Arena Sablanca to win every slam until she wins one slam because then eventually I'll be right. But if not her, I may just end up picking Garbine Muguruza to win the 2022 Australian Open, particularly, again, if she can get back to that early season form. Wasn't quite there today, but was a little bit closer. Three-set victory for her, again, over a very much in-form uh, Martin Sova. Of course, your other winner on the day, and by the way, Pavlochenkova, 2-5 and five win over Bernardo Pera. That's pretty impressive. Keeps herself in position. She, you know, jumps over Conteve once again. She, uh, again, puts herself in pole position to at least stay alive for the fight to Guadalajara. But you got to give some credit to Ekaterina Alexandrova, who has struggled mightily here this season. And Alexandrova was one of the breakthrough players of the early 2020 stretch. You look at what she was able to accomplish prior to the pandemic in 2020 and was 20 and 12 overall on the year. She wins the Shenzhen title, beats Rabakina, beats Muguruza Sinyakova on her way in that run. Third round for her, holds seeds, beats Teichman, beats an unseeded qualifier by the name of Barbara Krejcikova before getting knocked out by Petra Kvitova. She then makes semi finals of St. Petersburg before a three-set loss to Kiki Burton's third round last year Roland Garros semifinals last year at Linz again 20 and 12 overall started out this season on the right way too round of 16 before she loses 7-6 in the third to Svitolina and Abu Dhabi semifinals for her at the warm-up to the Australian Open another third round Aussie Open performance for her before getting knocked out by Ashley Barty 
But then it's been a struggle. You know, again, I don't want to say a struggle, but it hasn't been easy. A, t- a bunch of tough losses for her. You look at just some of them, three set losses on the season to Goff, uh, to Tossin, to, uh, to uh, not to Krejcikova, but excuse me, to, uh, I believe, Belinda Bencic, 7-6 in the third in Berlin. She lost, an- again, just a bunch of tough matches. You see names like Tossin, Brady, and Bencic, Krejcikova, Pagula, Vika, Halep. Part of that comes when, look, when you start entering the top 50, top 40, you're going to get into the best events. And just by virtue of playing the best events, you're going to play the best players in the world. Alexandrov has struggled a little bit this season with that competition. Now, you look for her against opponents ranked outside the top 50, 16-8 and eight overall, 8-12 and 12 versus top 50 opponents. You look for her, her first serve win percentage drops by about 5% in the uh, depending on the level that she's playing. Her return percentage drops by about 3% when she goes from playing players outside the top 50 to players inside the top 50. And yet, for her to beat a very much in-form An- uh, Angelina Kalanina 6-4-6-1 indoor hard courts back on her home turf of Moscow, Russia. It's got to feel good for Alexandrova. She looks to build some momentum. And again, those Lynn semifinal points she's defending from the end of last season certainly helps to get a nice chunk here at the WTA 500 in Moscow. She advances uh, to, uh, excuse me, the quarterfinal round. Of course, that's your action in Moscow. Went a little longer there than I anticipated. So going to rapid fire here down the home stretch. Let's move next over to Spain. By the way, I mentioned it already, but Sabalenka first, Muguruza second, Conteve third, Sakari fourth right now in terms of the tennis abstract singles forecast for the action over in Moscow. But over in Spain, who's your favorite via the tennis abstract? Well, given that six of the top eight seeds have already been eliminated, perhaps it's not a surprise at all to see that there are two prohibitive favorites that captured the title. One of them, Montreal champion number four seed Camilla Georgie. She's currently a 21.1% favorite to win, according to Tennis Abstract singles formula but, uh, forecast. But of course, your favorite right now, Clara Tossin, 33.9% chance. And of course, so much of that comes after Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano knocks out Alina Svitolina in a three-set round of 16 match. You look for Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano in the match again. It was her success both on first serve and attacking the second serve of Alina Svitolina. She wins 66% of her first serve points. She wins 64% of her second serve return points. You know, again, creates 13 break point chances for herself, converts on seven of them, fights off five of the nine break points that she faced, and again, was just the better player physically from the start in uh, this day two of this match. And for Maria Camilo Soros around, the way she moves the ball around the court, the way, you know, the topspin of her forehand, the short angle she can hit, her ability to take that ball early down the and down the line, her, you know, the slice backhand she's willing to play, her ability to elevate that ball 30 feet above the net, it's just a nightmare. You got to be locked in physically. If you want to knock out Maria Camilo Osorio Serrano, and of course for Alina Svitolina, she's top 10 in terms of total, I think top 5 in terms of total matches played here in the 2021 season, and it's been a struggle for Svitolina, particularly down the home stretch. If you watched, you know, Chicago Part 2, if you watched her loss at Indian Wells, she seemed drained physically, and you can understand why. It's been a lot of tennis for her, and of course, you look on the flip side for the 19-year-old Maria Camilo Osorio Serrano, she's exactly where she wants to be here this season, ascending up the 
rankings currently now 32 and 16 overall here in 2021 you look uh, for Serrano who I believe now up to new career high number 61 in the live rankings but even more impressive 54th in the points race again doesn't have that overwhelming weapon that's going to wow you you know no plus plus serve no plus plus place but her consistency her feel around the court you know 44.8% break percentage that number would be a top 10 number amongst top 50 players in the women's game she just puts so many balls in play so many returns in play and again will make you uncomfortable not only absorbing and redirecting your pace but making you play from uncomfortable positions of the court heck of a victory for Maria Camila Osorio Serrano to continue her success uh over in uh, in Spain, but of course your other winners on the day, Shimondova, 2-5, and five. she ends the run of 23-year-old Romanian Jacqueline Kirstein, uh, Anne Lee continues her success, another quarterfinal for the young American, 6-4, 6-2 over Gracheva, you then had Alize Cornet, 6-1, 6-7, 4-1, she earns a retirement victory over talented young Chinese woman, Shin Yu Wang, of course uh, Donna Vekic, much needed results for her right now, she's currently up a set, 6-4, one all on Arena Camilla Begu would be the first quarterfinal for Vekic in quite a bit of time. So again, uh, that is where things currently stand in Spain. Of course, next we go quickly to Moscow. Very impressive victory uh, for Karen Hatchnov. He earns a 3-6-6-3-6-1 win over the Duck, James Duckworth, to advance to the quarterfinals. You look for Karen Hatchnov here, what he's accomplished overall on the season. It's worth Christian pondering. If he has officially reached his peak as a tennis player, you look for Karen Hatchnoff, 25 years old here, turned 25 back in May. Of course, that's right around the time when you start entering your physical prime. You look for him overall on the season now for uh, Karen Hatchnoff, I believe, here in 2021, 32-21. Overall, that's a 60.4% win percentage. That's a little bit above his career average at the ATP level. He's now reached six quarterfinals, two semifinals, plus an Olympic silver medal on the year. That six quarterfinals ranks about, you know, tied for about 15th on the ATP Tour. He's 23-6 and six versus non-top 50 opponents, 9-15 versus the top 50. He's holding serve 0.4 more frequently than his career average. His break percentage is right online with his career average. Has he hit his ceiling? That's the question for us to wonder. Of course, physically, we know what Karen Hatchinoff is able to do, his combination of strength, speed, size, just it, it epitomizes what the modern men's tennis player is all about. And of course, when he has time on a slow, hard court and, you know, or in a three out of five set format, his physicality can win out in the end. And when he's having easy serve, easy plus one forehands, he is going to show off, again, a dominance. And that surface in Tokyo seemed perfect for him. Slow, high bouncing, physical matches. It's right up Karen Hatchinoff's speed, of course. You know, he beats Kareno Busta over at Indian Wells as well. Put together a good performance there. Strong uh, finish for the season of Hatchnov, and you look for him now with this result. Karen Hatchnov, I believe, currently, you know, fighting to stay inside the top 30. Currently at number 30 in the live rankings. You look for Hatchnov in terms of points accumulated here uh, this season. Karen Hatchnov, who of course doesn't get points for that Olympic victory, currently 25th in points accumulated. Again, it's worth wondering, is this, uh, you know, what the prime of Hatchinov looks like? And you look for him overall, 19.8%. He is your second favorite to capture uh, this title, trailing just Andre Rublev, 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 who's your your prohibitive favorite at 9.6%. But that gap, you know, if I would have told you after 
Karen Hatchinov won, what was it, the 2017 or 2018 Paris Masters that, you know, he'd have fallen significantly behind the development curves of Rublev, of Medvedev. You'd have slapped me in the face and not believed me. And yet we keep, you know, what is the next thing Hatchinov develop? Is it getting better at the net? Is it being more dynamic, more fluid in the outer thirds of the court? Is it just, you know, some diversity of shot selection in the way he hits his backhand and maybe incorporating some short angles in his forehand to open up the big drive smacks down the line? That said, it does feel like fundamentally Karen Hatchinoff sort of is who he is at this point. And again, physically, he's able to match the test of the duck. And the duck doesn't have that overwhelming weapon uh, to wear Hatchinoff down or to expose some of the one-dimensionality of Hatchinoff's game. And yet, and by the way, whenever I say one-dimensional now, all I hear is Andrew Burton being like, you don't use that correctly. And I'm not trying to rip on Andrew Burton, but it's like, no, I don't think you use the term one-dimensional directly. When you start bringing out the surfaces and the planes and you say, no, one-dimensional tennis means he's playing strictly vertically and it's minimal dimension of the net. That's not what I mean. One-dimensional in terms of he does one thing extraordinarily well. His game is pre- you know, predicated around one skill set. I call that one-dimensional. That's our definition here at Cracked Rackets. I'll let you listeners be the judge. And again, it's not a shot at Andrew Burton. I'm just saying he once came at, came at me is the wrong word. He said, I don't think you're using one-dimensional right on Twitter. And I wanted to say... No, old man, I don't think you're using dimensional one dimension right. Sorry, by the way, that's just me in a combative mindset because obviously whenever I'm home, I try to give my dad as much BS as possible just to try and – we have a game we play here in the Gruskin household where I will just talk and talk and talk at my dad until he goes, Alex, 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 shut the f*** up because then I know I have him engaged and I have him listening and laughing and being like, wait, I'm sorry, what did you just say? That is too ridiculous uh, for me to even experience. But anyways, all of that is to say – how much more upside does Karen Hatchinoff have to tap into? That's certainly a story for us to monitor. 26 years old, that's smack dab in the middle of your physical prime, so it'll be interesting for us to see from him. Moving forward, of course, your other winners in Moscow, Chilich, straight sets, John Millman, three-set win for him over Ilya Marchenko. You also had round of 32 wins. Impressive one for Federico Correa. Always impressive when he can get a hard-court victory. He gets it over Kachmazov and Mackie McDonald, three and four. He continues its indoor hard-court. Come on. Mackie, three and four over Yoshihi. Nishioka. That's where things stand for the men in Moscow. You move over quickly to where we are at in Antwerp. Again, I guess we're not going to have time to talk more adjectives for Jensen Brooksby. Stupendous, unbelievable, confounding, brilliant, super califragilistic XB Ashley Brooksby. I mean, that's how good this guy is. 2 0 over an inform Botic Vandersen sculpt. Are you kidding me? And it just looks like, again, Vanderson Sculpt was playing checkers. Brooksby was playing chess. Vanderson Sculpt didn't have the weapon to hurt Brooksby with. Couldn't, you know, go Mach 12 on the return of serve like all of us anticipated would happen to Brooksby when he got to the highest levels of the ATP Tour because he places that serve so well. He's so disciplined with his location of his plus one ball that even if he doesn't overwhelm you with pace, he's ensuring that you're at a minimum, at, uh, you know, at neutral, at a minimum at the defensive perhaps in his service games. And then just talk about a guy who puts serve return after serve return after serve return with depth, with precision, with, I don't want to say pace, but with depth and precision. And that's the name of the ball game here in the Pro Tour. And so, again, 2-0 for Brooksby. It's a joke. He's won over 80% of his matches of the year. You look for Jensen Brooksby now up to number 63 in the live rankings, currently in the points race. Jensen Brooksby, I believe, even higher than that. And we look for Brooksby. Is he now top 40? I want to say Brooksby. Yeah, number 40 in the points race. I had a conversation. I'm not going to say who with, but someone I frequently shoot around the who's the best of the young next next-gen Americans, Nakashima, Korda, Brooksby. I can't believe I'm saying this. 
I might be Team Brooksby over Team Corda now. And I'm Team all of them, for the record. But I might think Brooksby has the highest upside of any of these young Americans. And I've been fighting that because you watch Sebastian Corda play. It's easy power, easy side, very traditionally, aesthetically beautiful ground strokes. And yet, Jensen, Jensen Brooksby's like, I don't know how else to say it. That guy can compete. That guy can play. That guy, that's a tennis player through and through. And I know, Alex, that's pristine analysis there. You, we come here to hear Jensen Brooksby, a pro tennis player, is a tennis player, but he's a tennis player's tennis player, folks. You know it when you see it. And with Jensen Brooksby, you absolutely see it. He advances to the quarterfinals, another quarterfinal for him. Sixth quarterfinal, I believe, or maybe it's fifth. Fifth quarterfinal, I want to say, for Arthur Rindernash. He earns a three-set win over the Deuce. Worth remembering, Arthur Rindernash did not have a single ATP Tour main draw win entering this season. He's now got 16 of them. A couple of, you know, again, five quarterfinals along the way as well. You look for Rindernash in the live rankings. He... Now currently up to a new career high in the live rankings. I believe Arthur Rindernesh currently at number 65. You look for him in the points race, number 51 overall. I sent out a tweet today about my tiers of the best, you know, uh, of the most improved player tier list. He's very squarely on that list, certainly. And so, again, that's where uh, – that's where – uh, that's excuse me, sorry about that. That and leave all that in, Westoff. That's where Rindernash seasons stand. Of course, your other winner, Sinner, winner of the Battle of the Young Italians, five and two over Lorenzo Musetti. That is sneaky good three set match. That in the end is won by Davidovich Volkina. Much needed victory for him. Four six six three six three. Although I suppose any hardcore victory is a much needed hardcore victory for Christian Green. So he's got to be a little bit disappointed with that result. Nevertheless, that's where things stand following Wednesday on the Pro Tour. And of course, again, apologies that I'm not going to go into further depth. We will be back tomorrow to talk about all of these topics extensively. Just got to go run around and do some family obligations here as I am home for the week. But of course, if you missed anything that's happened in the tennis world, you can catch up on it all on our website, CrackRackets.com. For the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at CrackRackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at GreatShotPod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all that said, for super producers Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 